Hello and welcome to The Shore, a meeting place for people in film. I'm Dominie Anderson. Each episode, I sit down with women across the film and television sector to discuss their careers, the best and worst advice they ever received, and what they want for the next generation of women in film. Today, I'm joined by Lauren McKinley. Lauren is an award-winning producer and currently a creative producer at Nishama Entertainment. Lauren's many credits include Transplant, The Way Home, Bad Blood, and This Life. In 2014, Lauren co-founded the non-profit organization Women on Screen, and in 2022, she was one of 10 women named on the Canadian Power List of Women in Film. Let's dive in. Why film and television for you? When did you know that that was what you wanted to do? Yeah, so I grew up in Sarnia, Ontario. We moved around a lot before I turned, I think, eight. I had moved in lived in a couple different countries and but we I was my hometown was Sarnia, Ontario and I kind of always done both theater and film in a really really loose sense like mm -hmm. there's no film industry in Sarnia I don't know if you're aware of that <laughs> but um, I did community theater and then um, you know growing up when I could do like a movie instead of an essay mm -hmm. I would I remember in a class I was doing a project on anabolic steroids and I asked if I could make a movie and so I did like a Blair Witch Project spoof and <laughs> the big reveal at the end was that like the killer had been juicing and had killed everybody in a roid rage so oh obviously like had those sorts of impulses and even in undergrad I double major in English and theater and film mm -hmm. and I, but I think it was when I was picking my master's, which master's program I wanted to apply for. One was in classical theater, and I had kind of planned to apply for that. And then at the 11th hour, I switched to the film one. Oh, okay. And, and I think that that was the right choice. How did you make the leap into working in film and TV? So I was acting at the time. My master's was in acting for screen specifically, but it was also like a mini film school as well. So okay. we wrote, shot, produced, edited all of our own short films, except for a few like major projects where we had guest directors. Mm -hmm. So I kind of became like a, a de facto producer for a lot of those projects. Mm -hmm. And then when I came back, I was lucky enough to get representation and I joined an actor's collective where we made our own short films. And oh, cool. I know it was it was a really, really good learning experience because we were not only like writing and performing in our own and performing in each other's, but I also did craft services and production design and mm -hmm. was an extra and was like a PA. Like I, I learned a lot of different positions on my feet in in doing those films. Yeah. And then I also learned that I was good at producing and people started asking me produ to produce their work. So I... I kind of started just being the de facto producer and recognized that I really liked it as well. Mm -hmm. um, so it's kind of like I went to get my master's for one thing and then ended up discovering like the actual thing that I would be doing. Mm -hmm. And I think in terms of just transitioning to it full time, I got really tired of working huge long shifts in a restaurant and then coming home and like editing my films. It was unsustainable and mm. so I really wanted to work in an area where I had my education and where I had passion and so I did a producer's foundation certificate course through Raindance. Mm -hmm. I don't know if they offer it anymore but it was great. It was kind of like a condensed learning period where a whole bunch of producers came in and would go through budgeting and shooting schedules and grant applications mm. and funding applications and you know everything that you kind of need to be a producer because even though I had been doing it I just feel like 
I like to read a textbook. Like, I just <laughs> wanted to know that I was doing it right because I've yeah. been making it up. Yeah, yeah. So that was good. And then I interned at Fettergreen Entertainment. Shout out Avi Fettergreen for a little bit. And he wrote a recommendation letter to the first job I applied for, which was with Sphere Media. And I ended up working for them for eight years. Amazing. Yeah, mostly in television, one-hour drama. And that was kind of where I learned everything that I know now about TV, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. I love people's journeys. Yeah. yeah. Nobody's journey is the same. It no. is kind of the only consistent thing you'll learn when you're listening to these things. It's just like, oh, they were a writer first or they were a lawyer. Like the amount of people that I meet who have had completely different careers, a lot of journalists, a lot of lawyers before coming into this. And yeah. Gosh, everything just like informs your work and informs how you do things and why. So it's there's no wrong answer. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that there is still a gender divide in the industry? I think there's a gender divide in our entire society. Well, I, yes. yeah, I mean, like, I've been really lucky that I've been surrounded by incredible women my entire career, mm -hmm. but I don't know if they're getting paid the same as their male colleagues. Statistically, yeah. they probably aren't. Mm -hmm. I don't know if they're getting the same opportunities or if statistically they probably had to fight way harder. And then I think sometimes you can witness internalized misogyny too. So it's not just men versus women. Sometimes it's like, well, I fought so hard to get here and from I fought so hard from my little corner of the room mm -hmm. that it's like I can't I can't cede any territory mm -hmm. when really like there's just more room for everyone right now. I don't know. I you think you're beyond it at a point and then something will happen where you're just like, you know, I said that exact same thing last week, but until he said it Nobody, like, what, believed me? Or did it just need to be backed up by someone else? And it's very strange. Yeah. Yeah, to hear, like, people that I really, really respect say things like that. Yeah. I, I know. It's so odd. I feel like that's why, I don't know, it's almost like that's why I keep bringing it up. Like, in some ways, yeah, talking about gender, it's like, yeah, it's only one thing, right? Like, of all the of many all the complex things. Yeah. things yeah. Um, and it's certainly not all-encompassing. It's, it's also, you know, a corner of what what's going on mm -hmm. but I find it interesting how much also some people just think that I don't know it got solved somewhere along the way honestly like how I answer that question like depends on the day and where I'm at but it always like I am a cis white het woman so the fact that I've experienced just like a fraction of what I've described to you like it's disproportionately worse mm -hmm. for any trans non-binary BIPOC creators, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so things have definitely gotten better for sure. Do bad things happen all the time still? Yes. Yes. Um, I think that Me Too was huge for us. And I think that Me Too was really good at exposing the level of behavior that we have had to put up with mm -hmm. in the past. And it was really important. And it's the difference between like, so like 12 years ago, I remember coming up to a group of guys in my workplace and they and one of them was like, OK, Lauren, honest question, which of us would you rather fuck? And the difference between then and now is that like now, I mean, they should have known that that is totally inappropriate. But yeah. now I would hope that they would know. And even if they don't, I can fire them now. Like that's a fireable offense now. Yeah. Yeah. You would think so. Yeah. So, yes, things have, I think, gotten better. I think that, like, now it is, for whatever reason, for the people who it wasn't clear 
before what is appropriate and what is inappropriate now it's kind of spelled out a little bit more yeah and that has not that specific level of oh my godness has not happened to me lately what is the best piece of advice that you rec you've received one of my favorites is clarity is kindness mm -hmm. and i find that that can be really applicable in a lot of places being clear with expectations allows people to do their work well being clear on notes mm -hmm. allows writers to like understand what a reaction is without having to dig for it yeah like also kindness is kindness like you shouldn't be just like like don't be a dick about it yeah but I I really I think being clear with people is really important and then never underestimate the impact that you have on people hmm it would surprise I think it would surprise you to learn just like how much of an impact you can make on people Mm -hmm. every day what's the what's the worst piece of advice you've ever received i've always struggled with the concept of never give up not because i think people <laughs> should give up <laughs> i've just struggled with like the binary that that presents that yeah. like if you aren't still at it you failed yeah which is so like it's such bullshit no when it's time to step away is actually a really strong sign of character yeah but, but i just wish that there wasn't such a stigma of failure if you transition or if you try something new because being open has brought me everything if you could change one thing about this industry hmm. what would it be oh well <laughs> you don't have to be like responsible for fixing all the all of the industry's problems or anything thank god for that yeah don't worry you know i would but... <laughs> I'd make it more accessible and I don't mean easy because mm -hmm. I do think that learning how to work hard is important in every industry but I just remember when I was starting out being so intimidated because getting financing for example is so convoluted and confusing like there's really nothing straightforward about it mm -hmm. and I was so scared of asking questions because I didn't want to seem dumb or inexperienced because then people wouldn't take me as seriously and yeah. I already was a young woman so people like ordinarily didn't take me as seriously mm -hmm. um, and so I've held that experience and I now try to just openly admit when I don't know something or really just encourage people to ask questions and and just be as non-judgmental as possible when people do mm. because I just don't want anybody to feel like they can't do this simply because they don't understand how. Mm, I love that. Does that make sense? It does yeah. make a lot of okay. sense. Accessibility in so many ways is such a crucial need in mm -hmm. our industry. So that's one thing I would change. What do you wish that you had known before you started this film and TV journey? Mm. Honestly, don't wait until you feel ready. It's yeah. the whole like Amy Poehler quote, great people do things before they're ready. Just jump in, mm -hmm. learn while doing, and that's how you get ready. What do you love the most about what you do? The people. Yeah. Don't you think we just work with the best people in the world? I think we do work with the best people in the world. Yep. Also, I get to be creative on a daily basis and not to be like cheesy, but some people dream of making a film their entire life and you get to help make their dream come true. Mm. which is pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I get to learn from 
again, it's the people. Like the people that in, you're, when you're in such a collaborative environment, and for me personally, like my job as a producer, the onus is on me to like be able to speak everybody's language. Mm -hmm. So, but I'm never going to be as good as everyone because that's the point of hiring specialists. Like, yeah. and, and that is a that is a very humbling position to be in, mm -hmm. knowing that I am lucky enough to be working with people who are at the top of their game and have so much to teach me and also are just like really nice and like funnier than they have any business being and yeah. <laughs> it's just yeah it's it's just great it, when it when it's when it's gelling like that it's great and I've been really lucky to be in that position more often than not yeah what is some work that you've done that you are particularly proud of or something you've done where you've had a lot of fun I'm really proud of the work that I did on Transplant. Yeah. Um, I was a supervising producer for season one and two. And I remember feeling a bit intimidated that we were doing a medical show because I remember watching ER with my dad. And my dad's a doctor. And mm. just remembering the moments when he would be taken out of the show being, oh, well, like, they're not doing that right. Or that, well, he's dead now in real life. Those types of things. Yeah. And so because we were doing a medical show, I just really wanted to make people like him. I just wanted medical practitioners to be able to just get lost in the world. Mm -hmm. um, so along with like everybody else in the show, that just became a really big priority for us was having medical accuracy. Mm. This, this is maybe not the sexy answer that you wanted, but no, I like it. I was really proud. Like the first time the show was broadcast, one of the comments that I, st I think I still have it saved on my phone, was like from a nurse and she was like, oh, I'm so happy that they use defibrillator pads. These show that like use the paddles are so outdated. It felt like really accurate. And I just I was like, yes! <laughs> so <laughs> validated in that moment yeah. that like nurses and doctors watching the show were, you know, were buying into it. And oh my God, like the best day of my entire career was the day that my dad was uh, an onset consultant, a medical consultant. Oh my gosh, it, sweet. Oh my God, it was amazing. It was like totally by accident because it was during August and we shot in Montreal. My dad's not, my dad lives in Sarnia. Mm -hmm. So obviously we hired doctors from Montreal, but August they were all on vacation and we needed an open appendectomy. And that's not really something that happens anymore. They're done like laparoscopically a lot. But mm -hmm. my dad remembers doing them in medical school and during like the first few years, I think of his rotations and stuff. And so by the, by the, by the powers that be, the fact, by the fact that there were no Montreal doctors available and he knew how to do an open appendectomy, my line producer, Anne-Marie, was like, well, we got we to gotta hire your dad. And I was like, <laughs> I wasn't going to suggest it, but yeah, let's do it. And she was amazing. She was like, oh, we're going to buy him business class and put him up. Oh. And like when he was on set, like we really, everyone is very deferential to the medical professionals because we want to do it right, obviously. But he just like looked like, like he felt like a rock star and everybody was just like <laughs> waiting with bated breath for every piece of advice. And and then also like we have a, we have a really good relationship, but it, I think it gave him an even greater perspective into what I do because, yeah. you know, producing and doctoring are very different, you know, a little bit, little bit. like there's surgical <laughs> precision in some, like in a, in a loose metaphorical sense. But, yeah. um, but yeah, like the day that he came and ran the medical rehearsal and 
oh, and the, the guest star that week was Mary Walsh, like Canadian treasure Mary Walsh. <laughs> and he had to go in and do the first cut so that it was precise. And so my dad met Mary Walsh and it was just like, just so cool. And all I know all of his friends were asking him about it before and after. And it was just such a, I think it was, I, I thought it was really cool and I think he had a great time and it was just such a big deal and probably like my favorite day of work ever. I love that. It was really cute. It's so cute. <laughs> yeah. Being a leader. What does that mean to you? It means providing vision, you know, creating an environment where people can thrive, listening, making sure people feel respected, sometimes having tough conversations and making hard decisions but empowering people to do their best and then always acknowledging and celebrating their efforts. Uh, did you have mentors when you were coming up? Yes, I did. I have had so many. Um, when I got this question from you, I started writing down names and I was just like, oh my God, if I name, if I start naming some of them, like it will be the entire podcast and mm -hmm. then I'll still have forgotten people because yeah. I've been so lucky. Like to just have been surrounded by really talented, generous people my entire life. That's so lovely. That's so nice to hear. Mm -hmm. I feel like it's one of those, it's one of those accessibility points, you know, like some people really, yeah. Yeah. to find people in places where you go who do want to open those doors and tell you what they know and help you along. I, yeah. I think it's just, it's so valuable. I and think it's, it's always worth like, like celebrating, you know, where you yeah. find it. I think it's so great. Oh my God. And it just changes everything. Like I remember Transplant. I remember our first, like our producing director, Holly Dale. She just would like lean back and grab me and bring me up to the monitor under her arm and physically make space for me. Mm -hmm. And either doing that physically or metaphorically it's just you never forget the people who do that for you mm -hmm. and oh, I just hope I just hope like one of my biggest goals in life is just that I hope people feel encouraged by me and because yeah. I just know how meaningful it is when it happens to you you know yeah who inspires you I am surrounded by inspiring people, but I was thinking of this in the context of the weekend I just had. So I'm going to say today, my husband really inspires me. Aww. And not just today, if he's listening, he's in theater and mm -hmm. he's really dedicated to his craft. And the work that he creates is just so beautiful and powerful and moving. And like he does it because he loves it. Just this dedication to storytelling in all of its forms and He's just a person who just constantly reminds me why we're doing this. Mm. Mm -hmm. Like, what is really important? Why are we telling these stories? Yeah. The, he has this really awesome ability to just tunnel vision focus on something mm -hmm. and stick with it. And also, you know, do multiple things at the same time because his shows can take years to develop. Mm -hmm. um, but he just keeps going and it's just... Yeah, he's, he's a good one. What do you hope or wish for the next generation of women in film? I hope that female non-binary creators get access and resources that they need um, mm -hmm. to get into this work and be able to make their own stuff. I, I also think there's a really strange kind of middling out happening in film where you have ultra low budget and ultra high budget films but that mm -hmm. middle ground is really 
disappearing. Mm -hmm. And that's where a lot of masterpieces exist. That's where a lot of my favorite films exist. Like Moonlight was four million, Little Miss Sunshine was eight million. Like those are two my two of my favorite movies. Mm -hmm. And like I still think four million is low budget. And these are what like Hollywood would consider low budget. But like we we just need that budget range in between like the talent to watch and like the mega feature mm-hmm. budgets to allow this next generation of filmmakers to move beyond low budget and make their way up to those high budget ranges. Yeah. Because without that middle, like without that middle ground, like where do you get to hone your craft? Mm-hmm. Where do you kind of get to prove that you can handle more and more responsibility and like higher budgets and stuff like that and it's selfishly I just I want more masterpieces like I want more Mm -hmm. of my favorite films and statistically speaking they have all been in that range so I'm just like that can't go away because then what what am I gonna watch you know I, and it is all about me. I if if I've I made any point throughout <laughs> this, I hope it's that. No, I just like, but that's what the next generation needs, right? Because they're not going to get just invited to the Avengers party, but they should be able to make an Avengers film and then go make their deeply personal fifteen dollar memoir piece too. Yeah, you know. Yeah, no, I think you're totally right. This mid budget so important, yeah. and it's otherwise it, it's a massive jump and it's a lot of pressure and of course it's just like there's fewer of course it's going to be fewer opportunity because it's going to be heavier gatekeeping with the higher budget well yeah and then like do you find that a ton of women and non-binary creators get that get to make that leap not as much as men exactly and so and then the stakes are much higher for them because then because then, then if they, they fail, then if they just... fail, then it's a massive thing you failed, and then yeah. they can really hold it, you know. Whereas like this middle ground, it allows much more room, for, yeah, to learn, to try, to to not even have that pressure on yourself that you have to deliver something. And they which, will, like, there will so, be that pressure you know, because we're yeah. all perfectionists and we all want to make excellent work, and for sure they, they need to be able to hone their craft on their feet, mm-hmm. and they they just need to be given the opportunity to change the world. That's what those films do. Yeah. It's like there, there is a place in society for mass blockbuster entertainment and I love it and I will I will go see all the iterations of Into the Spider-Verse. Like, <laughs> of great. Course. Yeah. Um, my niece is obsessed with the Avengers. Um, excellent. Like, I, she hates that I haven't seen a single one of them um, <laughs> and I will correct that soon. But, like, you need to be able to drop below that and just say some really personal things and have some kind of paradigm shifting conversations and that's kind of where I guess I've seen most of those movies habitate mm-hmm. in in my viewing experience yeah I don't know if that's overgeneralizing I, it might be overgeneralizing a little bit but the fact remains like the fact like you it's really hard to move from ultra low to ultra high mm-hmm. so we need that space in between for yeah. our filmmakers yeah See, that's an amazing answer. Thank you. Yes. Took well, me thank while. you. <laughs> <laughs> I know it feels like you're ask, we're asking a little bit the whole world, you know, like, but no, you it's, know, yeah, good. Yeah. Thanks. All right. Well, thank you. Thanks, Tony. You're so welcome. Thanks for having me. <laughs> thank you for coming all the way to my my humble abode.